Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? If you don't know who Resma Menekum is, I'm not sure where you have been, but the good news is that you are here now. It is my honor to welcome such a highly regarded and esteemed guest. Resma is the author of My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies, published in September 2017, which appeared on the New York Times bestseller list in May 2021 in The Quaking of America, an embodied guide to navigating our nation's upheaval and racial reckoning, published in 2022. He is also the founder of the Cultural Somatics Institute. He also wrote Monsters in Love, Why Your Partner Sometimes Drives You Crazy, and he tells us what to do about it. He has done more interviews than I can count, including The Breakfast Club. Resma has single-handedly changed my professional and personal life and numerous others. We are pleased to welcome Resma Minikin to change the narrative with J.D. Fuller. Let's get into it. Mr. Resma Minikin, first and foremost, I can't truly verbalize my gratitude for sharing this conversation with you today, especially on Juneteenth. It is an honor to have you here with your first book. I want to preface that by saying, you know, I was thinking about you know, for a month, I've been thinking about how do I want to do this interview? Because it's so much like, how am I going to make this happen and make the most of it? So I decided the best way to approach it is to interview you using some of your quotes mm. as a guide in the process. Mm, thank you. Thank okay? you. That, that'll just center us and, yeah, uh, and get yeah. us where we want to be. And it'll help me because a lot of times when I'm saying stuff, it's coming from an, such an emergent place. And I really have a sense that creation ancestors are kind of like working with me. And sometimes I drop stuff and then I hear it later and I go, oh, that was some dope shit. Like that was, <laughs> that was cold. <laughs> you know what I mean? I you know, so, so yeah, this is cool. This is cool. Yeah. For real. It's so powerful that you say that because I feel the same way when I'm teaching around a session. I'm like, I wish I could record that because I really don't remember what I just say. It really feels like it's moving through you and comes out yeah. when you, when you, when you yeah. tap into something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I wanted to say that your book, My Grandmother's Hands, changed how I approach my work as a therapist and changed me on my personal journey. Mm. I think that it is the most profound book that I've ever read. Mm. And I am mm. an elder who's gone through a lot of education. And this really, I feel like I'm a better therapist, clinician in person because of your book. And I mean that sincerely. I want to know. Can how, we pause on that for a second? Yeah, abs absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes I don't, you know, it matters to me when black bodies say that type of stuff to me because sometimes I don't know if I'm going in the right direction. I, I don't know if, if what I'm doing is having the impact on specifically black bodies that, that I hoped that it would have. And so when black bodies... And whatever configuration that is, say to me that something that I did impacted them in a way that was generative. It really, really does help me. It helps me. It helps me. It helps me feel better. It helps me stay moored and oriented. So just wanted to say that. 
I'm breathing that in because of its importance to hear you have that enter into your body. I also am so pleased that I can let you know uh, the power of your work. So that means a lot to me. And thank you for pausing. You know, in my effort to get it all in, I can move a little quickly. So I appreciate that pause. Thank you so much, brother. Talk to us about what started such an incredible book as my my grandmother's hands. What was the catalyst? Oh, that's easy. So it was it was it was a catalyst, and then it was a ripple, right? The catalyst was two years in Afghanistan, and being a, a therapist in Afghanistan, a counselor, what I was called a community care counselor. So I was the only therapist in southern Afghanistan working with 53 military bases. And so anytime a base would get hit or a Taliban would breach or somebody would commit suicide or somebody had been over there for three, four years and saving all their money and then look and see that their partners wiped out their bank account and mm. they can't go home right now. Like just all kind of and anything is, you know, sexual assault, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I was responsible for flying to that base, processing that base, determining whether or not people could get what they needed in country or they needed to fly out and, and go get some help. And then if they could return. And so during the course of that, only way you could survive the smell of that, the heat, the noise, the rumbling, the sensate the the way that the sensate enters into the dreams and the imagination, the stairs, the cold stairs, the 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 arbitrary stairs, the menacing stairs, like all of that. The only way you can manage that type of stuff is to override the overwhelm. There's no way you can you can stay present with that, and nor should you, because of the 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 consistent overwhelm. You're not supposed to take in all of that. You're not supposed to. And so I did it for a year. And then and like if somebody would have told me, sibling, in that first year that I would have re-upped, uh, re-upping means you just sign another contract and go back. I was like, oh, it's your damn mind. I'm getting my damn money. I'm doing what I need to do. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm going back home to my wife and my kids and, and whatever that is. And by the time I, my boss came to me and asked me if I could, that there was nobody else that had applied for the job for the next year. And that the, everybody that came while I was there ended up leaving because it just, they, they went crazy. Not weak, not defective. They, it's just a lot to deal with. And so my boss came to me, asked me that. And without even consulting with my wife, I said, yeah, I'll do it. My body was so acclimated to that as normal. It wasn't even a forethought to say, no, let me check with my wife. I knew I was coming back. And so I didn't tell my wife. So I took a break at the end of that contract and came home. I didn't tell my wife I was coming back until like two days before I got back on the plane to come back. Oh my God. And that's how trauma works, right? Trauma works in alignment with your virtues. Trauma works in alignment with what you do best. Trauma works in alignment with what fuels you. That's why it's so hard to get at, no matter what. It's called an iatrogenic line, right? So iatrogenesis is a medical term that says that something that the doctor is doing that is that the doctor thinks is helpful is actually making the, the, the patient sicker. So no matter which way the, the doctor moves his head, he can't see it because it's in alignment with his virtues and the things that he does well. 
right? Okay. The only way to work with that is to literally get stuff offline and work with the quaking of mm-hmm. stuff not being in alignment, right? My wife is the one that actually helped me to like deal with that. So I went back. I told her I was going back. She looked at me. She walked away from me. She right stayed away from me two days. I got on the plane, came back about three days, three days back on the contract. My wife calls me and she says, hey, we're talking, doing a little bit of small talk. And she was taking care of both my kids by herself, you know, here. And she she says to me, she says, hey, I'm, I need to talk to you about something. I said, yeah. She said, if you do that again, stay. She said, if, if you do that again, stay over there. Don't come home. Wow. And of course, I got pissy. I got mad and all that different type of stuff. But by the time my boss came to me again with that shit. <laughs> I had some decisions to make, right? And I was like, no, dude, no, 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 no. I said, I said, if I stay over here a year, I'm not, I'm not, I ain't gonna have nothing to come home, go home to. He said, I was surprised you did that shit the first time. <laughs> and 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 but what I, the reason why I'm saying that is that. All of that. So I did that from 2011 to 2013. I tell people all the time, I, I came home in 2013. I actually did not land until 2015. Mm. And during that time, my my grandmother was still alive. And just stories that she, me and her used to talk about, and she used to like the cotton hands and all of that different types of all that dovetailed with what I had just experienced for those two years and coming home and trying to commit suicide and coming home and, and isolating, coming home, right? All, all of that shit. And it, it what dovetailed together was my grandmother's pain, my people's pain, my own pain, the historical pain and the generational pain. And I was able to, to get bent enough through that experience to be able to go, oh, there's something here. And that's how the book came about. Talking about taking a breath. Man, that is so incredibly powerful. You know, you talk about white supremacy trauma and how it can manifest in culture, family traits, personality traits, etc. Will you elaborate on that? Yeah. That all that that piece came to me mm-hmm. going through the precipice, you know, when I when I landed. <clears throat> Trauma. So so what white body supremacy does, and this I don't say white supremacy, white body supremacy. Why do I say that? Because when you say white supremacy, everybody, every good liberal, every every good Republican, every good anything in between, not nah, we're all against white supremacy. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, right? And it's it's an intellectual nod. It is a it is a cognitive nod. It is a it is a that's a bad thing, and I'm a good thing. So I don't want to be associated with the bad thing. The reason why I say white body supremacy is that I want to situate this stuff in the body. There's a politic in the body, right? That there would that 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 the idea. That the white body, if you don't understand this next thing I'm going to say, everything else is going to confuse you about this whole piece. 
The white body deems and has deemed itself the supreme standard by which all bodies' humanity shall be shall be measured structurally and philosophically. If you don't understand that, the rest of this shit will confuse you when they start trotting out DEI and they start trotting out belonging and they start trotting out all of this dumb shit that is not moored in anything but white comfort. And so white body suggests that the white body at one point deemed itself the standard of humanness. The race question in this country, the race question around the world has always been a species question. Always been a species question. What do I mean by that? If I mean that the idea that my pigmentation and your pigmentation is the determinant of whether or not we are human is woven in and around and through every religion, in and around through every institution, in and around every educational structure. The idea that I am not human is a species question. The three-fifths clause is a species question. Blood quantum is a species question. And the species that is human is white. Everything else is a deviance from them. So when I talk about context, what I'm saying is, in that white body supremacy, the ravages of it decontextualizes trauma. Time decontextualizes trauma. If you watch something happen to me right now, Sibley, and it's crazy, and then next week you see me and I'm acting bananas, you're going to say, we got to get rest with some help. That shit that happened, that I know happened, that I saw happen, it's a is impacting him. We gotta, I gotta love him more. I gotta do something. I gotta bop, 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 right? Mm -hmm. That's context. What if you never saw it happen? Right? Yeah. Trauma decontextualized with time in a person can look like personality. Trauma decontextualized over time in a family can look like family traits. Trauma decontextualizing a people over time can look like culture. This is why when you talk about white people and, you know, we always say, you know, why do white folks, white bodies vote against their own best interest? You think that their best interest is law. The best interest, most white bodies, the most enduring structure on this planet or enduring structure in America, the most enduring structure I'm talking about before you get to the Constitution, before you get to the Declaration of Independence, before you get to any of that. The most enduring structure on, in America is the plantation. Mm. The plantation, listen to this piece, the plantation organized white bodies. It organized white bodies since body sovereignty. Mm. It organized their sense of what they thought, what they uh, construed as God. It organized their sense of right order. It organized their sense of a strong white man having dominion over all other bodies. It over those their it over it, it organized their sense of ownership as opposed to stewardship. It organized their sense of rape as product as something that can be done. Body sovereignty is when you're looking at Roe versus Wade. When you're looking at all of these all of these things, you're talking about so the white construct is the sovereignty around the white construct is to have dominion over, not to have, I don't give a shit what they put in their constitution. 
the plantation organized them before the Constitution. Mm. Yes. So that's what I'm white bodies. This is why I don't, when I do my work, I don't do white bodies and black bodies and bodies of culture in the same room together when we're, when we're getting down to the Why? Because white bodies, we are speaking two different languages. White bodies have no collective understanding or efficacy when it comes to race. None. None. Don't, don't come up to me, tell me who you march with. Don't come up to me, tell me how many black men you done screwed or how many black women you done screwed or how many black films you done dated. I don't like that shit is irrelevant to me. Who are the people you are developing a living embodied anti-racist culture with? Culture, culture, not ideas, not strategy, not pussy hats, culture. Okay, that leads me right into the first quote. Mm-hmm. So what you just uh, said, incredibly powerful. I mean, you probably hear me be redundant with saying that's powerful. That's powerful. Cause I literally feel like everything you say is powerful. So it comes from an authentic place. Just so you know, I appreciate it. I appreciate your first quote that I have here or not your first, but my first quote I have listed here is a key factor in the perpetration of white body supremacy is many people's refusal to experience clean pain around the myth of race. Instead, usually out of fear, they choose the dirty pain of silence and avoidance and inevitably or invariably prolong the pain. Can you speak yeah. to that, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so clean pain and dirty pain is a big piece of, of what I believe is at play when we're talking about race, right? We're talking about race. We're more than willing to talk about the content of my character. Um, we're more than willing to talk about, you know, can't we all just get along? Mm. We're more than willing to talk about colorblind shit. We're more than what we ain't willing to talk about is the ferality of race itself, the ferality of pigmentocracy, right? That it is a feral, like when you watch black cops beat the shit out of a black man, like he's a dog on the on, on film. What you're watching is white ferality unleashed. But if you just if you don't understand how race works and how white poverty supremacy works, you say you put all of the ills inside of those black bodies that are doing that brutal thing without realizing that those black bodies have become an apparatus, mm. a tool, right? And everybody can make choices about uh, being an apparatus to the tool of white body supremacy. And so we don't want to develop a culture that can actually look at what this shit is and how it functions, not what you think it is, how it literally functions economically, how it literally functions socially, how it literally functions educationally. Right. What you want to do is go into platitudes and slippery slope arguments. If we give black people reparations, then what does that mean for that's a you know what I mean? Like, yes. like, like if we acknowledge the pain and the brutality of 400 years of brutality on the black body and five and six hundred years of brutality on the indigenous bodies, then we, if we if we have to deal with that, then. What does that mean for us? Well, really, I don't give a shit what it means for you. Like, like, really, that's not that. That's if we're talking about liberation, 
your uncomfortableness cannot be centered to the point to where I don't get what I need or my people don't get what they need. And so for me, dirty pain is the pain you get from going around something. Clean pain is the pain you get by going through something. Most of us who have been in any type of relationship with somebody where somebody that we've loved, not just romantic, but somebody that we love, sometimes you're dealing with people in your family, sibling. I know this. I know this without even knowing you. I know sometimes you deal with people in your family where you go, I can love you, but your ass got to stay over there. Woof. You got to, you, I can love you. I said, I've said this to somebody recently in my family because they wanted to come live with me. And I said, I can love you in an outhouse, <laughs> in your house, in no house, but not in my house. Like that, that shit that you doing and that shit that you own right quick. I said, if I can't, if I, if, if I'm gonna continue to love you and that's clean, that person went the fuck off on me. Like they went off. You're supposed to be down for people and for your people and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm clean with this. It's painful. As adult, I know I don't get the choice between pain and no pain. I get the choice when in those types of situations, right in that moment, I get to choose between clean or dirty. That's it. Am I going to do this clean or am I going to do this dirty? I get pain on both pieces. I don't get to get around the pain. I get to choose the pain of dirty and staying steeped in it, or I get to choose the pain of capacity. And that's it. And then the next things that happen after that is only happen after I do this. After I do that, then I may have, you know, some respite or some other, some, you know, feeling good about it, stuff like that. But that ain't usually what happens on the front end. And this culture, white, white bodies, and those that are aligned with whiteness have no interest in going through this shit cleanly because they get all of their sustenance from being dirty with it. So true. That's powerful again. You know, when you said how we can watch black police beat up a black body, something came up for me and it was how many white people posted that video. But, yeah, but that's the function. That's the function. You see what I'm saying? That's the function. If you don't slow down and look at that and go, I wonder why my best friend, Brittany, I wonder why my best friend, Brittany, didn't post their children. Mm-hmm. I wonder why my best friend, Brittany, hasn't posted all of the hundreds of fucking photos of years of white bodies going to lynches and then sharing them as postcards. I wonder why she hasn't done that. Why? Because she has no interest in it. It is it's so uninterrogated. Mm. It's un it's, it's unlooked into. She has no it that is her interest. And if you say something to her about it, she can't grasp it because she doesn't have a culture that's interrogated. She may have read my grandmother's hands or Baldwin or you know, I read the sixteen nineteen project. Like she may have done all of that shit. Mm-hmm. That ain't culture. And if she didn't read any of those, then you're really talking to a wall. You just get even angry. if she did read all of them, you're talking to a fucking wall. Okay, appreciate the clarification. We, right we give we, listen. We give white bodies epiphanies way too much credit. White bodies come up to us and go, "I never thought, and I never knew, and I never." And I'm sitting here thinking, 
I've been dealing with this shit for almost 60 years of my life. I came from bodies that were ravaged by this shit. And you just now getting in the pit. Go on, go on, go on, get the fuck away from me for a minute. I'm so with you. I'm Stop, so don't, with don't, 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 I don't. You can come to the next barbecue, but don't, you know, leave, leave the potato in the, in, with the raisins in it back home. And then, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I need a break from you and this, and this, and this heart rendering that you do in front of me that I have no use for. Like, there's no, there's nothing for in this for me. Do they have to come to the barbecue at all, though? Not at all. Okay. That's better for me. Okay. Not at all. Next quote. Our virtues are wrapped inside of our limitations. It is only when we are close in proximity to others that we begin to intimately explore the boundaries of virtues by slamming into our li limitations. Yeah. Tell um, me what you think about that. Think, tell me. Tell, yeah. 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 So it's for me, what comes up is that, you know, we can do what we do and we can be close to people while we're doing it. But the real, the reality of what we're doing, the actions of what we're doing is we're going to find our own limitations in it. it. Proximity doesn't change who you are as a person. That's, it doesn't change your action as a person. That's it. Love that. This, this piece right here is, so there's a difference between doing good works and cultivating a liberatory understanding. Cultivating a liberatory understanding means you have to do that with other people. And if you're not finding your own limitations, your own boundaries, it becomes performative. And, and what happens is, is that this piece right here around your limitations being wrapped inside your virtue was the iatrogenic, the, the iatrogenic, right? That, that, that the reason why you got to do this work with other bodies is because eventually other bodies will make the alignment do this. Right. Mm -hmm. And what we do when we are misaligned with something, when something becomes misaligned and something says you have to pay attention to this and this, not just this, but this and this. What we want to do as a human species is we want to all we want. We want to do everything we do to bypass it or put things back in alignment. This is actually healthy. This is healthy. Contending with this is actually healthy. Contending with the quake between that back and forth is actually healthy. This actually is not the healthiest thing that we can do. The alignment among around things where you don't interrogate the limitation. I'll give you, let me give you a quick story about okay. how this works. This is a personal story. So my wife, me and my wife, I've been with my wife for 27 years, right? And we have been through some shit, right? Like, We'd have been through hating each other. We'd have been through, you know, walking around the house and not talking to each other for weeks. I mean, I mean, I mean you know that shit like that hate, like when you not dislike your partner, like you would hate their ass, like right, like that that type of stuff only happens with long term relationships. People who are in longer term relationships, four, five, six years, you start to begin to work with the hate pieces. So one of the things that happened, I'm. I, but earlier on, I was I, some of the same stuff I do now. I'm, I'm running around. I'm taking care of my people. Gun buybacks, doing this, doing that, doing that, blah blah. Doing you know, taking care, not you know, not cheating, not doing this. I'm a good black man. You don't recognize a good black man. I ain't cheating on your ass. I ain't beating you. You should recognize I'm a good black. Like all of that was shit. I mean, all of that stuff, right? And one time we were going through that, and my wife goes to me. She goes, "You're a fucking bully. You are a bully." And I was like, "What? Like that?" I lost. I was like, what are you 
Like, what are you talking about? I'm a bully. I don't do this. I don't do this. She goes, you're an emotional bully. I was like, I'm mad. Da, 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 da. Right? And she used to trot that out all the time. And I would just lose. I couldn't handle, like, how dare you call me a bully? You see all the shit I'm doing? Like, so then I couldn't handle it, man. We were getting, we were on the verge of divorce a couple of times, all this shit. And I went to my mentor. He's since passed. And it was mm-hmm. Dr. James Maddox. And he's, he's yes. just old, old, older white dude, right? Mm-hmm. And looking back at, he was a hippie dude back in the day. <laughs> and he used to always sit while he'd be talking to me. And he'd take his tea back and he'd have his little tea thing. He'd be different in his tea. And he said, what's going on? So, <laughs> I go, and I'm hot, right? So I was, and he, I said, I said, man, I don't think me and Maria are going to make it. He said, yeah, you know, what's going on like that? So I'm talking to him, talking to him. And, and then finally I landed and I say, I said, you know, the thing that really gets me, man, she keeps calling me a fucking bully and I'm not a bully. I'm a good dude. I'm not a bully. And she, he goes, well, what is she, what is she saying? And I said, she keeps calling me a bully. And he said, okay. He said, well, give me an example. He said, I said, so I'm doing all this stuff. We get into this argument. And she says, she tries out a bully. He says, okay. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He said, ask, answer me this. He said, so you do all of this stuff. Tell me the stuff you do again. So I nailed it out. Boom, 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 boom. Right. And this is my dude. So I'm like, you know, he's going to be on my side. This is my dog. You know, either mentor me. (laughs) And then he's sitting there and he says, so you do all of those things for your people in your home. You take your bills, you do all of those good stuff. Right. And I said, yeah. He goes, how often is Maria there when you're doing that? I said, well, she can come. He goes, that ain't what I asked you. (laughs) He said, how often is she there? How often is she invited? How often is she present? How often is she included? How often, what happens? And I said, look, man, I'm trying, you know, my people, and he was a white dude, so I moved into the my people thing. And he said, I'm come back to this, Rasma. He said, how often is your partner there where you're doing all of these beautiful, wonderful things for including your partner? And I said, well, you know, she ain't really there, but you know, I got stuff I got to do. He goes right there. He said, right there. He said, you're the type of person where you are a go-getter. You're a hustler. I've heard you even say to me that you're a hustler. I said, I am. I come from a long line of hustlers. He said, yep. He said, one thing about hustlers is that if you ain't riding with them, they'll leave you in the fucking dust. Mm. He said, bully. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, shit. He said, if you're willing to leave your partner in the dust, she's going to experience it as you being a bully because you don't give a fuck whether she comes or not. (laughs) (laughs) I worked with that shit for 10 years. Like, Mm. Like, fuck. Right? Because everything in me, that's my virtue. My wife experiences the limitations of my virtue. Mm. The reason why I can't get it is because I keep coming at it from a virtuous place. How dare you impugn my love for such a... Right? I, it took me years. And I still work on that shit. That is a thing that I'm, I always have to watch that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and it makes me think of how the ego yeah. gets activated and involved 
That's right. That's right. No. That's right. That's right. You can't. You can't have it's it. And and this stuff is so. And this is why I start whenever I do my work. I don't talk about it as people being defective. Mm-hmm. I talk about it as the natural conundrums in relationships with people that matter. Your limitations are the limitate your conundrums and the limitations and the bottlenecks are supposed to happen to have you evaluate and interrogate it to make decisions about how you want it as black folks sex say how you want to be. Mm-hmm. How you be. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That is a that's and 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 when you're with somebody, they matter to you. So when they matter to you. You have to consider them. When you have to consider them, it puts you in a vulnerable place. Yeah. <laughs> that vulnerable place pushes you up against your limitation. Mm. Perfect. So I really appreciate how you break down the racial hierarchy in white communities, how they want a person from the global majority, bodies of culture, in the room to hold them accountable. How can white bodies hold each other accountable if that's the case? Yeah. So remember... Everything I talk about, sibling, is about tempering conditioning. Mm-hmm. If if me and you were rocking together and me and you had known each other for years and I called you up, sibling, and I said, hey, check it out. I'm going to run a marathon. Mm-hmm. And you said to me, really? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to run a marathon. You say, damn. Okay, what you need? And I say, well, you know, I just be there when I get ready to do it and help me out and stuff like that. And you say, I know somebody that run marathons before. I didn't run a marathon, all this, right? You, you, we, we rap, right? Mm-hmm. And then you said to me, well, Resma, when you think about running this, your, your first marathon, when you think about doing it? And I looked at you in all seriousness and I said, tomorrow. Right. <laughs> now you got to ask other questions. Right now, you got to now as somebody that loves me and is concerned, you literally got to ask what's going on, right? And you would be rightly so. So you said, "Well, wait a minute, husband, have you run a block yet?" <laughs> and I said, "No, but I, I did listen to a couple podcasts on it." Say, <laughs> husband, well, have you have you do you understand that like sometimes when people run twenty six miles, they're toenails fall off yeah i i read a couple books on that so 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 yeah i know I, I know how to take care of that right every time i give you assurances you get more and more worried about me why because you know that my body and i am not conditioned and tempered for what i'm about to put my body through the same thing applies to white folks and race white folks want to do good shit and want to want to do good things when it comes to race, but they have not developed the conditioning and done any conditioning around race communally. So, so that's why they want a black ass guru to come through because they want a black guru to come through so they can blow all of that bullshit that they never dealt with in the King Surf relationship when they were coming from all the, when they were coming out of the dark and middle ages. They don't want to deal with that and deal with other white bodies with that. They would either come here and then ask me and want to debate me and do all of this type of shit. They want to blow all of that shit through me. They don't even know this. So, the, so what I tell white bodies is you have to start actually developing, get together with two other white bodies and say to each other, our commitment is that we are, one of us is going to bear the others. That's how long we're going to do this. We're going to usher in a living embodied anti-racist culture. And what that means is that one of us, we're going to bury each other in developing that idea. Right. 
And so wanting me to come and lead be up the black ass Pied Piper leading you out of the, into the promised land is a is a functionally what happens to black bodies that do, that do do that end up getting weathered and catching cancer and doing all of these different things and their body becomes so weathered and, and worn and they never put it back to the fact that the energy load, the, the, the traumatic, the stress sores, the stressors and the energy load is literally weathering my brain architecture, is literally weathering my cardiovascular system, is literally weathering my endocrine system. And when white folks pay you to do something, they feel they, they have a sense that they should, because this is how they've been conditioned. They have a sense that they should have access. If they pay you for it, they should have access to every idea and orifice of your body. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. And so this is one of the reasons why they have to begin to get together in a room and sit with each other and try and work with not a book club. I love when you say that. Because <laughs> you know, you listen, listen, a book club is like crap to a white woman. <laughs> oh, man, that's so good. That is so that's good. where up and down they doing liberatory work. Oh, that's so good. Go ahead. <laughs> so, 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 so they got to get into the room with each other, and for the first year or two years, be awkward and stupid, and say inane things, and get away from each other, and come back, and and get away from each other, and talk shit, and talk shit about their babies and their children and their husband, and then come back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And keep coming back. I don't want to see that. I don't want to watch that. I, I don't want to watch that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You you keep coming to me asking me what to do. Your people started this shit. <laughs> Say it all the time. That's it. That's it. So 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 that's why I said, you know, sometimes when white folks ask me, well, what should we do? It's it's almost like they want tips. And understanding and well, give me the first three things to do, Resma. Right? I stopped doing that. I don't I'm not doing that. Cause here's what I learned. You ain't gonna do shit with it nowhere. Why? Because you don't have a culture to hold it. Mm. There is no foundation for you to hold it. There's no container by which all of the reactions and the and the fire and the and the stuff that needs to happen as human beings, you don't have a container. You just got tips and ideas floating around in your head and you try and apply it and people think you are fucking loon and then you stop and you go back to your white neighborhood you go back to your white people and you go back and you shut the fuck up mm-hmm. I don't want to watch that it it hurts yeah it hurts yeah yeah because you get sucked in I can't tell you how many white folks been rah-rah with me at the beginning I don't know where the fuck they are right now mm-hmm. yeah it's the constant uh, re-traumatization of the That's pain right. you endure That's to right. offer and then yeah. How do you, how does it, it, there's no corrective experience in it. Nothing, nothing. This, and then, and then if I say something about it, now I'm like, well, you know, you're really not creating a nurturing environment for people to do this with. Fuck you. I don't have a damn nurturing environment for it. You know what I mean? Like what you, what are you talking about? What are you like? All of the shit that I've had to do for 30, I've been doing this for 30 years. 
all of the shit that I've had to do and all black people coming at me, indigenous people coming at me, uh, everybody coming at me. And you know what? I stay with it. I stay more. And most of those motherfuckers, I don't even see no more. Mm -hmm. You, you was the hottest thing out there talking about shit for a while. You hot. You, I'm, everything that I'm doing is wrong. I don't even see you no more. Where you at? Yeah. That's the difference between building a living embodied and trying to build a living embodied anti-racist culture and, and having good ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the famous lines that I hear that I know you'll appreciate is, you know, I think what works best is if you call us in instead of call us out. It shuts me down when you call me out. It's like, you're shut down anyway. <laughs> hey. Sis, you got this fucked up. Like, 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 like when people say that to me, like you got this all fucked up. It makes it so I do better when you call me in instead of calling me out. How about this? How about I don't call your motherfucking ass at all <laughs> and see what you create? Exactly. Let's do that. Let's since, since you got all of this in you that the only reason why it's not presenting itself is that I'm doing something to thwart it. Mm. How about I don't call your motherfucking ass at all and see what you create without me calling you in, out, or anything? Did you see what I mean? Yeah. That's the function. That's what I'm talking about, the functionality of things. When people say shit like that, it has a function. Mm -hmm. It's not a function. It's not a generative function. It is a function that works in terms of stop pushing me, don't mm -hmm. say shit to me, and then maybe I'll give to the George Floyd Memorial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's about upholding white white body supremacy. It's about and comfort and comfort. comfort. Yes. That statement is a white is a centering white comfort state. Call yes. me in rather than call me out. Mm -hmm. Shut the. Do you, yeah. sis, without even really knowing you, I know this. I know that the work that you're doing or trying to do, ain't nobody called you in to do it. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Never an invitation in the mail, email, no, nothing. No, <laughs> That's not how this works. No. <laughs> Agreed. And when uh, somebody says shit like this to us, yeah. as black bodies, as indigenous bodies, as bodies of culture, that constriction that happens when they say shit like that, you should pause on it and hold mm. it. There's real knowledge in that. Don't override that shit. Don't override it. Hold it. Sit with it. Rock with it. Moan with it. Wail with it. Cry with it. Curl with it. Uh, 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 jump with it. Move with it. Orient with it. You know what I mean? Do yes. all of the pieces. It's knowledge. The bend in those things. The 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 the, the ducking under the constriction of those things are part of. It's part of the kind of fugitive narrative. Mm. Be like like get familiar with that shit. Get familiar with the trick in that shit, the trickster pieces in that, right? Yes. Don't be so quick to move off of it. When white, when a white person or somebody that's white aligned, because there's people that look like us that's very aligned with whiteness. Absolutely. 
When that shit hits you and you bend, stay with the bend. Stay with the bend. See how much room can be developed later as you stay with the bend. Don't be so quick to bypass. Don't be so quick to, oh, handkerchief head, motherfucker. Like, like, don't be so quick to, like, do that. Like, just be like, 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 hold it. And keep holding and come back to it. That's the temporary and conditioning. Over time, you'll have more room. Over time, you'll go, oh, that's what that shit is. Okay. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Yes. It is so real what you're saying. And your practices have just given me the tools to do just that. And make I say toys. Up. I say toys. Okay. Toys. Not the tools. Tell me. Toys. Tell me. So the to- so, so reason why I say toys. Is because tools suggest that there's a problem to be fixed. Mm, love it. And if I could just grab the right tool for this right problem, then I can fix it. That ain't what the fuck we're dealing with when we're dealing with white body supremacy. Well, what I say is the things that I talk about in the book, the practices are toys. It's something to be played with, to be explored. Like when you watch a baby play with toys, they'll take the G.I. Joe and put it with a block of blocks, right? They'll take, they're exploring. It is not tools that we're trying to do. I got this from a sister named uh, Leticia Nieto. She had a book called Beyond Inclusion. Mm-hmm. And in that book, and, and talking with her, she talks about the idea we got to stop talking about a toolbox. What we're really talking about is a toy box. When you're talking about liberatory work, you're talking about a toy box, an exploration, a sitting with a, a I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to try it anyway. Right? That's different than toys. Or t- that's different than tools. I know what you meant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I love it. Um, I think of when you say, and when, when I initially hear toys, I think of play and fun, but, yeah. but I like no. the, I like the transformative nature of play as yeah. and in curiosity. Yes. Love yes. It. If this shit ain't fun. Yeah. This shit is not fun. Yeah. This shit is I don't want to give that impression. Yes. That's right. It is, but it is a more, it has a more, it has the ability to have more capacity in the yes. past. I love that. It has the ability to have more generativeness in the pain in ways that tools do not. Mm. I love it. So a couple more as we wrap up the first part of this interview, because there's much more to come as we get into the quaking of America. Mm-hmm. So I heard you say that white body supremacy is the water, not the shark. I love that. Yeah, I got that from this. I can't remember the, the white dude's name. He's a poet. Somebody that's listening to it probably know it is this white dude who talks about these pieces around whiteness, right? Mm-hmm. I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they go by they. Uh, okay. So let me let me be correct with that. So mm-hmm. so they said this piece in a poem, and I was like, "That's it." We so busy looking for the shark of white body. Somebody called me the N word, which mm-hmm. is true. You know, people get you know shit slapped out of them for stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes like the way that I think about about white supremacy, honestly, like what people you know. Are you, you know, not violent? Are you this? Are you this? I don't know. Like, 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 <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. like, like, if you call, if, if you call me an N-word or if you spit on me oh, or man. if you, or if you, or if you do something to my babies or if you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, that's like, so good. like, I don't turn cheeks. I may be able to give you some room. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to make this an ethical, like, like this is my ethical 
foundation only. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only thing that I'm gonna do, right? Mm-hmm. And so, 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 what was what was the question again? Same because I well, went off when I started. No, no, stuff. that's okay. That was so good, though. That's yeah. so good. Um, so you no longer uh, wait. Let me see now. You got me caught up in that too. Okay. Uh, the shark, the shark. Yeah. In the water. So, 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 what happens is we're so busy looking at that that we don't realize that really the danger is not in the sharks, the thing that the fins that you see pop up. The danger is that you are steeped in white body supremacy, the ethos of it, the philosophy of it. You are steeped. You're so busy looking for the shark that you realize you're ingesting was actually making you sick. Mm-hmm. Like it is, you are, you are ingesting and soaking in this thing. So there is no reprieve. Right, like you, you think you get a reprieve because you don't see the fan. No, you are steeped in this stuff. So, 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 so stop. So, what I tell, particularly bodies of culture, is I'm not telling you don't look for the shark. I'm saying it's all around you, and you must create a culture that can that can deal with the ravaging effects of it being all around you, not just episodic. Stop. Th- this stuff is not episodic. It is pervasive and persistent. Mm. Stop thinking about it as episodes. Black bodies getting destroyed on TV. Black bodies have been destroyed since they got here. Mm. This ain't the first image of you seeing a black body destroyed. They, they were taking lynching pictures and and, and giving them to each other as postcards. The image of a black body being, a black woman's body being hung from a damn train track over a river is as old as this country. So for me, it's like, I really try, when stuff pops up, I go, man, that's crazy. And I go, yep, it makes sense because of how this shit is. Yeah. I don't get fooled. I don't get like all like, oh, I, this has never happened before in the history of America, and it's been happening. So, you know, I agree that white progressives, liberal white bodies, are steeped in white body supremacy. Absolutely, and they want to separate themselves from the extremists. So, so they find ways to do that, but yet they continue to wound us in the process. Mm-hmm. So how how do we address this shock that they have yeah. every time something yeah. happens that's been happening, as you said? Here, here, here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's you can both you can both be brutalized by something and be benefited by the brutalization at the same time. Mm. <clears throat> all of the white women running around a couple of years ago, remember when all of them had them damn pussy hats? Yes, I do. Remember them pussy? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> Can't forget those. <laughs> look, 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 look. Rah, rah, riding out there. What, 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 what are the structures that they created after the pussy hat? Like, what I, are the living, yeah. embodied, anti-racist cultural structures that they created after that? None. Okay. None. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. And I don't because know. They, that, were, they didn't feel connected to me. That's they weren't. Yeah. Because they, because they didn't do any type of. Remember what I said about the marathon? Mm-hmm. They didn't do any type of conditioning. They 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 can't. The, the charge of race has is, has a four or five hundred year old charge to it. They had white bodies. White women have done no conditioning around that. 
right? So here's the deal. So white women on the plantation were some of the most brutal people to black children. You had black children walking around the plantation with their husband's faces on them. Mm. And those white women were vicious at the same time that they were being treated viciously. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. Those pieces have never been resolved between white men, white women, or whatever identity in the white body you want. That has that energy, that energetic load has never been resolved among them, right? Mm-hmm. So this is one of the reasons why I say, you know, when when white bodies are really about that life, like the liberatory life, they don't have a whole lot of people because. The people, because they're they're developing a culture with the people that they're developing culture with. They, this is not a pageant, right? Mm-hmm. So they began to have questions of their husbands, their white husbands, in ways that they didn't at the beginning, because they literally have more room to be able to tolerate them staying, leaving, or whatever. White men who are really about this liberatory life and doing the work, they are, they have more room by which they can interrogate whiteness in their intimate relationships. And when their uncle says something, they say, well, you know, motherfucker, you, you do what you got to do. Like, mm-hmm. keep moving. I'm going to do this over here. What, what am I saying? I'm going to create culture over here. You get to do whatever the fuck it is that you're doing, but I'm creating this. Well, you ain't you, and you're supposed to be white. Yeah, but not in your context. Right. Mm-hmm. See, now you're talking about a different cultural emergence. Right. And so for white bodies, what I say is this, is that until you start conditioning and tempering to be able to deal with losing something, stature, identity, husbands, wives, children, uncles, jobs, mm-hmm. Until you start contending with that, you ain't ready. You're just talking. Culture, not tips, not ideas, not strategy, body to body, developing the glue. So when you're doing shit, people hear that you're coming not with you. They hear, like when you hear me talk, sibling, you hear my ancestors. There's no doubt. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt you hear the moorings, whether you like them or not. You hear something other than me. That is, that has been hard fought for years of making mistakes, of doing stupid shit, of hurting people, of, of uh, and then coming back again. Do you understand what I mean? Yes, absolutely. That's how it happens. White folks have no interest in doing that around race. Mm-hmm. You have said in today's America, we tend to think of healing as something binary. Either we're broken or we're healed from that brokenness. But that's not how healing operates. It's almost never how human growth works. That's not correct. Yeah. It is, it's, I am better now than I was in 2015. And I'm continuing to get better, mm-hmm. right? I didn't go, I didn't get to the promised land of heal, health. I didn't get there and go, I am as healthy as I'm ever gonna be. 
I still got weird shit floating around in my head. <laughs> you know, I still got shit that I, my wife don't even know that I'm like, man, I, I can't say that to her. She they come yeah. to like fucking lunatic, right? Mm-hmm. There is there is ways that this this healing piece is not A to B. It is an emergence. It, it emerges. I have more room by which now I can nibble on this. I didn't have that much room before to do it. Everything was tight. Now I can notice, whoa, boom, I got a little bit more. I can now do some work in between that space where I could, where there was no space. That's healing. Yeah. It's, it's nibbling, not gorging. Mm-hmm. Rushing to get healed. You know. There's so much money. There's so much money. And in, in, listen, there's so much fucking money in self-care. Do you know how much money is in self-care? I can't imagine, but I can't imagine. There's so much money in telling people to take care of themselves. Try this. Self-care is important. And communal care is important, too. Mm. Because that's what you're, what you're going to need when you get worn out. Mm-hmm. Only utilizing... Your the the self toys. Yes, you better have cultivated a commute. A lot of the shit that happens to us, we try and deal with. Like the shit that happens in our jobs, we try and deal with individually. We go and ask somebody, and, da, 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 and we feel like we're just being worn out by it. The reason why we're being worn out by it is because we're trying to deal with a communal horror individually. Mm. What what happened to our peoples and continues to happen to our people ain't happening to our people individually. It's happening communally. So only developing an individual response to a communal horror is inadequate. It's not enough. That is so good. That is so good. Long gone is the belief that if white bodies get enough information, they will change. (laughs) They'll change their approach towards liberation, re-examine their paralysis, and how they should work with that. What do, what do you say to that? How do we how do we tell them that's not the thing? Listen, listen. I don't want you to answer this question. This is a rhetorical question, right? I don't, gotcha. don't want you revealing this. But do you remember back in the day, the first time you had sex with somebody, <laughs> and it was awful? <laughs> that's great. That's a great lead-in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Awful. <laughs> Absolutely off. <laughs> if somebody would have told you at that moment, stop having sex until you're ready, you'd have been like, okay, <laughs> tomorrow I'm going to fuck something. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like this idea that somebody could give you information and that's all it takes for you to change your behavior is a misnomer off top. Yeah. Do you know how long they've been putting the Surgeon General warning on the side of cigarette cartons? Mm. Do you know how long they've been telling people to put condoms on? I hear you. And I'm not saying you shouldn't say that to people. I'm saying don't act like telling somebody something and giving them the correct information is the curative element. It's not curative. People have to actually test it. They have to actually work with it. They have to actually get burned. <laughs> you know, you know, shit kind of happens sometimes. You go, oh, shit. Like, I, I mean, what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, this idea that we're just going to educate people into not being fucking racist pigs is like, that's like, come on, man. This White folks are not 
privileged by white body supremacy. They're advantaged by white body supremacy. I don't say privilege anymore. Privilege you can use or not use. Advantage is something you got in a, in a society that is predicated on pigmentocracy, that your pigment dictates whether or not your humanness is uh, uh, sacrosanct or to be questioned at every moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only white bodies have humanness bestowed on them that's sacrosanct in this structure. And until you understand that, all this shit gonna confuse you. You go, you know, this is one of the reasons why when people say, well, Asian people do this to black people, black people do this to, I was like, yeah, that's true. That's the horizontal horror. I, but if you only say Asian people, black people, black people do this to other black people, if you only say that black and black violence, if you only say that, guess what stops getting questioned? Mm-hmm. The vertical axis of white body supremacy. And you can, you always have to keep both. When white people, when black folks do foul shit to each other and do foul shit to other bodies of culture, do foul shit, period, you must always keep white body supremacy, the vertical axis of white body supremacy online. Otherwise, it becomes opaque and you start Mm -hmm. saying, see, black people ain't shit. See, is ain't shit and see black people that's what black black people in flies right like you know <laughs> and you put all of the defect inside of black people not what happens and continues to happen that is it that's it i love that there's something else here for our li- final uh question before we go into your new book and we change and we end this episode this has to do with the kindness you know you said something like we have to stop appealing to the kindness of white people, you know, or white bodies. You said, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> that it's never worked for us. Mm-hmm. And, and you've, you've said something about that, but will you close this out with, with that? Yeah. 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 I don't want you to, I don't want you to spit my soup. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't want you to call me the N word. I don't want you to, I don't want you to do anything disrespectful or horrible to me. I want you to be nice and kind, right? Mm-hmm. But niceness and kindness is not liberation work. And we have to, as black folks, we have to be very clear that liberatory practices and work is not the same thing as being nice and kind. I want you to be nice. I want you to be kind. That's not liberatory work. I separate those out. Whiteness, but white folks think that if I, that whiteness and kindness is in another word for um, goodness and being good. So if I'm nice and I'm kind, then I'm good and that's enough to address white body supremacy. Mm. And so what I tell particularly bodies of culture is that kindness is not a all ever reaching idea that is unquestioned and unfathomable. Some people are nice to get around shit. Mm. Right? Right. Say right? that. You 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 ever had people, you ever had your your grandmother say, you say something, she go, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> right? She been nice, but the subtext is, you a stupid motherfucker. <laughs> like, 
Like you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. bless your heart is not blessing your heart, right? Right? <laughs> 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 it, you know, you may you may go for years before you go. God damn, grandma just told me to fuck off. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, but once you get it, you understand that people's words and their deeds are not necessarily more than something liberatory. Mm. Right? And so and so for me, but white folks don't have anything else. Think think about this collectively. What do white bodies have other than niceness and kindness? Yeah. When it comes to race specifically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else, what, what, what else do they have? I feel like like, yeah. like if you talk about institutionally, what mm-hmm. else do they have? So Truth that's what. Truth be told, Resma. You know, my friend asked me. Uh, said, you know, you're interviewing Resma today. Are you nervous? And I, I felt the furthest thing from nervous. I felt so excited and overwhelmed with the possibilities. And as we make it to the halfway point of this interview. I'm even more excited to get to the second part. So again, I want to thank you for coming on, spending time with me, sharing space, your knowledge, your wisdom, and all of who you are authentically. It means so much to me, truly, my brother. So thank let's you. end here. Oh, yeah. And uh, and we'll get back to the second for the second episode. Okay. Let's do it. All right, right on. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller. 